Well, I want to show you something as we get started today, something that sits in my office every day, and it is a hula hoop. Can y'all see this? Yeah. Yeah. See this? It's a hula hoop. It's really cool. It lights up. Of course, now it's not. That's all right. It's a hula hoop. Why does this sit in my office? Well, it sits in my office every day, literally right across from my desk to remind me of something. It sits there to remind me of a truth that we're going to see in our passage today. And so if you have your Bible, uh, I want you to go ahead and open it up, or if it's on your phone, turn it on. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Because um, today we're starting a new series. We, we just did a series on discipleship called Thrive, and we will be revisiting that throughout the, throughout the year. Uh, but we just started it, and so now we're going to switch to Ephesians. I just kind of wanted to wet your whistle on, on, on what we mean by discipleship here at Fellowship, that it is, it is being with Jesus, it is being in God's Word, and it is being for others. But this new series called Together in Ephesians is something that I think we all need during this time. Um, because because I don't know if you've heard, but we live in a fairly divided country these days. And it's real easy to let what happens in the culture seep into the church. And so so it's it's easy and, and unfortunately all too common for, for churches to be divided and for churches to to, to to pull apart. And this series is designed to to spotlight uh, those reasons for division. And what I hope that this series does is it not only shines a spotlight on those common issues for division, but it shows us a better way forward. Because what we're going to see as we're working through this book, through this letter to the Ephesians, is we're going to see that the gospel breaks down divisions, uh, every division you can imagine. The gospel breaks those down, and in its place it builds unity. And we're going to see that the good news of Jesus really does tear down every wall that divides us from God and divides us from each other, and it tears them down. And in its place there is unity. And today we're going to see one of the, one of the, the reasons one of the, the un, one of the reasons for unbiblical division. And it's seen in this life principle. It's this. It's how we see ourselves determines how we see each other. So how we see ourselves determines how we see each other. Now, now how you see yourself is, a, is also known as your identity, right? How you see yourself is, is your identity, and, and your identity, how you see yourself, affects how you see everybody else. Let me give you, let me give you some examples, All right? If your identity is in work, here's what it means. Like if your identity is in your profession, in your job, here's what it means. It means that you most likely see yourself as a person who has earned your way in the world that you have worked hard and you have gotten what you have because of that hard work. You, you are known for making your way in the world. And, and the problem with this is that you often feel like failure isn't an option. Or even worse, you feel like you are always failing anyway and you don't want to let on. For example, you get a bad grade, you're devastated, even though you did the work, even though you studied, you got a bad grade and you're devastated. Now, here's how this affects how you see other people. When somebody else succeeds, you don't like them anymore. You get jealous of their success. You, you, you might compliment them, but you certainly don't cheer them on. You see how your identity affects how you see 
others. Let me give you some more examples. What if your identity is in your intelligence? What if you consider yourself a really smart person? It means that chances are when you step into a room, you are the smartest person in the room. You perceive yourself to be that way. And I'll be honest, chances are you probably are the smartest person in the in the room. The, the problem with that is if you see yourself as the smartest person in the room, you see everyone else is less than. You see everyone else is kind of an idiot. You feel righteous, right? And everybody else is below you. If you see yourself um, uh, not as someone who is intelligent, but maybe you see yourself like I did when I was growing up, as someone whose intelligence was less than, I I really thought that I was not the smartest person in the room, but one of the, the dumbest people in the room as I was growing up, because that was affirmed by, by things that teachers said to me and offhanded comments and, and stuff like that. Like, like um, it didn't matter what grades I got. I believed that I wasn't the smartest person in the room. I believed that chances are I was probably the, the dumbest person in the room. If, if you're like me in that, and, and God has brought me a really long way in that, but if you're like me in that, what that means is that oftentimes you find yourself uh, brokenhearted and let down by people because you trust them, because they're the experts, right? They're obviously smarter than you are. And so you can trust them. And oftentimes that trust means that there's a broken heart and people have let you down. And so you end up really not trusting anyone. If your identity maybe isn't that, maybe your identity is in the good choices that you make, right? Like, like you're smart and, and you make right choices. You make good choices. You might even be close to perfection. Well, then if that's the case, then that means everyone else is a sinner. And you feel like you have to perform to keep up that appearance. You can't let people know the real you. And so do you see how, how, how a misplaced identity creates insecurity, right? Like how you see yourself affects how you see others. And, and, and a misplaced identity creates what's called insecurity. And insecurity is this. And insecurity is what happens when we see ourselves differently than God sees us. And insecurity can only be fixed by having a correct identity. And insecurity can only be fixed by seeing yourself as God sees you. Now, here's what I want you to do. If any of those examples resonated with you, do leave a like or a comment and let me know. But the question for all of us is, can, we, can you see how, how, how each of these can cause a certain type of insecurity that, that, that over time, It'll slowly build walls. Over time, brick by brick, it'll build a wall between you as a Jesus follower and other Jesus followers who have insecurities just like you or maybe insecurities that are different. But all these little walls are being built up brick by brick by brick. Well, today what we're going to see is how the gospel changes how you see yourself. And through doing that, it changes how you see and the way you see others. And what we're going to do is we're going to see how the gospel forms your identity. And in that doing that, it actually lessens your insecurities. And let's dive into this passage where we're going to see what the first barrier is. And then we're going to talk about what in the world a hula hoop has to do with all of it. Uh, but, but let's just dive in. So Ephesians chapter 1 verse 1 says this. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God 
Now, I want to stop right here because there's some really good stuff right here. Because here we see in the very first how Paul sees himself. Now, here's what here's what we know about Paul. Uh, Paul is this fascinating man of God, and and, and we can kind of we we see a lot of, of of who he is in the Book of Acts. We see a lot of his biography, but we can also see a lot of who he is in the letters that he's written and how God is shaping. But here's what we know to be here's what we know about Paul that Paul didn't always go by Paul. He he went by Saul for a while. Uh, here in the New Testament, Saul in the Old Testament is different, uh, a different person, hundreds and hundreds of years in between them. And, and, and Saul, who we know is Paul, uh, that name is a Hebrew name. And, and what Saul did is, is, as a good Jewish leader uh, would do at his time, he was very zealous for the Jewish faith. And, and, and as these Jesus followers began to, to spring up, he was one of the people that hunted them down and imprisoned them and even killed them and was there, we see in the book of Acts, he was there when 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 uh, Stephen, a follower of Jesus, was killed and he held the coats for people as they threw rocks at Stephen and killed them. And so Paul, Saul, was one of, of those who hunted down Jesus' followers until he met Jesus. And when he met the Jesus that all these Jesus followers had met, it changed him. When he saw the love of God fully displayed in the person of Jesus, he too became a Jesus follower. He too gave his life to proclaiming the gospel. Now Saul, Saul is his Hebrew name and Paul is his Roman name. Paul was actually his middle name. He didn't just make it up out of nowhere. He didn't just, just switch a letter. He was actually given that name. And, and as Saul uh, grew in his faith, he had a very clear calling from God to take the gospel out of Israel and to take it uh, to, to the Gentiles, to, to people that aren't uh, Jewish. And so that's what Paul did. And so when, when, when he started his, his life following Jesus, he, he used the name Saul. But then as he moved out from Jerusalem, taking the gospel to the other parts uh, of, of the Roman world at that time, he used his Roman name, Paul. And so his name change from Saul to Paul isn't just a picture of his conversion. It isn't just a picture of, of when he said yes to Jesus and, and experienced the Jesus of the scriptures and experienced the gospel. It wasn't just then uh, that he changed his name. It wasn't just that that was the reason that he changed his name. It was also uh, because of his purpose. So it wasn't just his conversion, his saying yes to Jesus. It was also his purpose which is why I use the term apostle. Apostle means sent one. And so Paul knew that he was, he was saved by Jesus, and he knew that he was sent by Jesus. Now, Ephesus, the people that the, the, the area that this letter is written to, is quite a long ways from Jerusalem. And the people in Ephesus are from all over the known world, and with them they bring their, their gods from their foreign lands. And, and so Paul knew that his job was to preach Jesus to them, to preach the gospel to them, and to start churches, which he did. And even in this first part of the verse, we find something that, that's important that we need to understand, particularly as we talk about our identity and how we see ourselves and how we see ourselves affects how we see everyone else. And it's this, that, that your conversion and your purpose define how you see yourself and how you see others. So, so, so if, if your identity, how you see yourself, affects how you see others, then what shapes your identity is your conversion and your purpose. Now, it shaped everything about Paul. We're going to unpack this in a little bit. It shaped everything about Paul, and it even shaped how he, he saw everyone that he encountered. Now, knowing this, that Paul's conversion, 
and his purpose shaped how he shaped his identity and how he saw everyone, you can understand why he refers to the Ephesians this way. Look at what he says next. So it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. And so what Paul does is he calls the people that will be reading this letter two things. He calls them saints and he calls them faithful. Now, saints is an interesting word. Like when we hear saints, we think of like football, right? The New Orleans Saints. Or we think of those super religious people who, um, after their death, have been given this title of saint, right? Well, neither one of those is what Paul has in mind. Saint means holy and it means set apart. And so Paul is using this word saint to describe all the Jesus followers who will be reading this letter. Because this is what Paul did. He wrote this letter and, and sent it by messenger. Paul was actually in prison when he wrote this letter for, for sharing his faith. And, and it was passed around to all the churches there in Ephesus. And so, so what he wants is he wants them to understand something right from the very beginning. To all the people who are reading this, and even to you and me as we read it now, he wants us to understand something, that, that by calling you saint, he's referencing your conversion. He's referencing when you said yes to Jesus. Because when you said yes to Jesus, right, and you received the gospel, you, you got this title of saint, meaning that you're holy and set apart. You're no longer what you were. You're set apart for something new and something different, which the next word that he used to describe them is their purpose, that faithful. Now, here's what's so cool. Paul knew his calling, right? He had this very specific pop calling to take the gospel to those outside of Israel and to take the gospel to the Gentiles. He had this assignment from God that was very clear, but he knew the people reading this letter would have all kinds of callings and, and purposes on their life. And most of the people reading this letter would still be trying to figure out what their calling and purpose is. So there's no way he could address all of them. And so he used this term to address all of them. And he, he used the term faithful. Faithful has been described this way, that faithful is long obedience in the same direction. Eugene Peterson wrote that. I actually heard today that Nietzsche may have been one of the first ones to say that too. But, but regardless of who said it, it's true that faithful is long obedience in the same direction. And here's what Paul is doing. He's saying that, that the, those who are reading this letter, the saints who are reading this letter, those who have said yes to Jesus and experienced him, that they now have this purpose of being faithful, of following Jesus step by step, a long obedience in the same direction. And so you see here, Paul is saying that their conversion leads to their purpose. Just like it did for him. And so to us, let me pause here. When I say things like purpose and calling, what does that do to you? What do you feel when I say words like purpose and calling? Because if, if, if you're like most, it actually puts a lot of pressure on you, right? Because, because you feel like you have to have this big grand plan for your life, this calling like Paul did to, 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 to take the gospel to people who have never heard it. And so maybe when you hear purpose and calling, you, you think that maybe your purpose and calling is to go to some foreign land like Paul did and take the gospel there. Or maybe it, he's calling you to start a nonprofit locally that addresses big issues like poverty and, and racial equity and homelessness and, and maybe even, even human traffic. Or maybe he's calling you to, to, to make this huge leap and to quit your job and to branch off into something else or, or even to quit your job to, to be a full-time parent or to quit your job to, to, to take care of aging parents. And, and so we feel this pressure to have this grand plan. And, and, and is that what uh, Paul is, is, is going to unpack for us, that that's what our calling and purpose is? Maybe, maybe God does have some big plan for you. But what if? What if it isn't something quite so grand, right? 
You see, what if Paul is saying here that everyone's purpose is actually the same, whether it's this big purpose and calling or whether it's this small, uh, small one. And it's this, it's being faithful. It's, it's, it's long obedience in the same direction, year after year, step by step, following Jesus. And so for us, maybe the question isn't what is big God's big call on your life. But maybe the question is, where is God asking me to be faithful today? Right? Is God asking you to be a hardworking student today? And listen, I get it. Like, like Buncombe County in the next week or so is, is going to go back to in-person and, and things are always changing. And it's so easy to just let school kind of slack off. And, and, and college is the same way. Maybe God is asking you today to be a, a hardworking student. Or maybe he's asking you to be a considerate roommate or, or a thoughtful friend. Or maybe he's asking you to be a mindful parent today. Instead of, instead of engaging in the Super Bowl with your full attention, maybe he's asking you to, to be present with your kids. Maybe he's asking you to put your phone down, turn the screen off so that you can be with your kids. Maybe he's asking you to be a prayerful grandparent. You see, the question I think for all of us is, what is God asking me to do to be today? What is God asking me to be today? Now, maybe write down what comes to your mind as I ask this question. Maybe pray about it, think over it, because this is where God is asking you to be faithful. Guess what? This is your calling. This is your purpose for today. And you can do it again tomorrow. But I want to keep those two ideas in your head. Conversion. Saints, meeting Jesus and saying yes to his offer of salvation and purpose, faithful, step by step, long obedience in the same direction following Jesus. Because here's the deal. Church, listen to me. You get these right, conversion and purpose, saints and faithful, then you get your identity right. And when your identity is right, it changes how you see others. It changes how you see everyone. When you see yourself the way God sees you, you see others the way that God sees them. Well, let's look at verse two. We'll pick up the pace here, I, I, I promise. Paul says this, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see conversion and purpose there again. Grace is conversion. Grace, uh, our conversion is only through the grace of God when, when it flows through us. It's peace, not only between us and God, but also between uh, ourselves and, and, and those around us. And so it's, it's grace and peace, conversion and purpose. Well, let's, let's talk about the hula hoop. Let's look at verse three. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And I want to stop right here because Paul, Paul does something that's, uh, that I think is really cool. And you don't see it in the English as much, but, but in the original language, verse 3 through verse 14. So, so in my Bible, that's actually two, the first two paragraphs. It may be one paragraph in yours. Uh, all of that is actually one sentence. And so what Paul is about to do here is he is about to go on this one breath, like spoken word type thing, like, like rattling off some of the most compact truths in all the Bible. And he's doing it to help us understand what happens during our conversion. What happens when we say yes to Jesus? What, what really forms our identity that pours over into our purpose, that, that affects how we see ourselves and, and how we see others? And, and he's going to use this phrase, which I'm going to call the hula hoop phrase. He's going to use this phrase that's called in Christ. 
And what I want you to do is I want you to imagine this hula hoop represents being in Christ. And so if you're in the hula hoop, if you're in the hoop, then you are in Christ. Well, let's see how Paul describes those in Christ. And let's see what it's like to live in the hoop. Verse 4 says this, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now, I'm not going to go into this big theological exposition here uh, on, on, on being chosen and predestination, all that, which is another word that Paul's going to use here in a little bit. I'm just going to let God's word wash over you. Because here's what Paul is saying, that before the creation of creation, right, before there was time, God knew you. God made you. God formed you, that he designed you with all your strengths and weaknesses, with all the, the, the ins and outs of your personality. He made you. He made you and he designed you because he loves you and because he likes you. Psalm 139 says this, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And so in Christ, you are chosen, right? That's conversion. You are chosen. You said yes to Jesus. He, he made himself known to you because God loves you. And your purpose is to be holy and blameless, which is another way, like holy means set apart again. There's that reference to saint. Blameless is another word for faithful. It means long obedience in the same direction. And here's what it means. It means, it means when God sees you in Christ, when you're in the hoop, right? In the hoop, in Jesus, God sees you and he sees his son. So, it, so whenever God sees you, that's the way he sees you. He sees you as holy and blameless. Look at the rest of verse six. In love, I mean the rest of verse four. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one that he loves. And so in love, you were chosen. Not because God had to, but because he loves you, he chose you. You see, and this is what the word predestined means. It means chose. But here's why God chose you, to be adopted. And, and what it means is that you were outside the hoop, outside the hula hoop, and God brought you into the hoop. We are family. God is our father, and we are each other's families. And so it's family. And so do you see the pattern here? Conversion, you were adopted for a purpose, family. You see, how we see ourselves affects how we see each other. When we say yes to Jesus, we're more than friends. We're brothers and sisters. We're family. And y'all, I'm going to tell you that means everything that family is. The good, the bad, the, the, the happy, the sad, the, the angry and the joyful. All the things that family are, that's what we are. And God is our Father. You see, in Christ... Adopted, family, we're in the hoop. Let's look at verse 7. Verse 7 says this. It says, In him we have a redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And so the word here is redeemed. Now this word redemption, it's a big theological word, and I get that, but here's what redemption means. Redemption means to set free but here's the deal. It means to set free at someone else's cost. 
It means to buy back. And let me tell you what that means. I'm reading a book right now called Slave Religion. And, and honestly, it has taken me a long time to get through it. Uh, it, is a, it, is, it, it is a book that looks at uh, from the slave trade all the way through, I think, the Emancipation Proclamation. I think it ends about there. But it is how Christianity uh, moved and affected uh, slavery. And, and here's what's interesting. It is a hard book to read because you see, you see white, powerful people using the name of Christ to do things that Christ never intended for us. For brothers and sisters, whether whether white or black, you you, you see you see this this these atrocities left and right in this book as it's accounted uh, by slaves. This isn't just myth and legend. These are slaves telling their stories. But here's what else you see: is every once in a while, and it's not very often, unfortunately, but every once in a while you see a church get it right, and 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 you see and you hear stories of a church that would buy a slave for the purpose of setting them free. And so what this means is that a church would pull together their money, purchase another human being, they would pay the price, whatever it was, and then as soon as they got the the, the piece of paper or whatever the, the, the ownership of that property was passed on to, whenever they got that, they, they, they wrote across it free. And they would release the slave into freedom. Can you imagine being a slave whose, whose, whose freedom was bought? Well, that's, that's what Paul is saying here. That's what redemption is, that our freedom was bought by Jesus paying the ultimate price. That his death on the cross paid for our sin. And when you and I, when we place our belief in Jesus and his payment for our sin, when we say yes to following Jesus and not trying to earn our own freedom by being good enough, and not being bad enough, when we say yes to Jesus, we get a, a freedom that we could never afford to purchase on our own. We get true freedom. We get a relationship with a God who loves us and made us and who likes us. And we get this ever-present relationship with him, which we're going to see in just a minute. Y'all, all of that is what I mean when I say conversion. All of that is what I mean when I ask you to say yes to this Jesus. And so if you haven't done that yet, if you haven't experienced this Jesus and said yes to his offer of salvation, then let today be the day that you do that. Because what Jesus does is he buys us back from our sin. He buys us back from the, from the life we were living and gives us a new life of freedom in a relationship with him. And so I ask you, if you haven't yet, say yes to this freedom. Let's look at verse 9. Verse 9 said, And he made known to us the mystery of his will in accordance with his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. And so now Paul's saying there's this mystery, right, that, that gets revealed. And, and, and y'all, we are the mystery, the church, the family of God. As Paul went and started churches, it was something that, that, that God had planned all along, but people didn't see coming. And so you see the pattern here, redeemed conversion. For a purpose, church, for family. You see, people gathering together has always been Jesus's plan. And like I said at the beginning, I look so forward uh, to being able to gather together again. 
And I'm thankful for all the technology that's allowed this to do this because we've still been gathering. It's just looked different and felt different. But y'all, God is still good in the midst of that. Let's look at verse 11. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In him we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Now let's keep going. In verse 12, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. So Paul's talking about Jewish believers then uh, because the gospel went first to the nation of Israel. Verse 13 And you also were included with Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation. Having believed, you were marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And so now Paul's doing something. He said, listen, the gospel went first to the nation of Israel. Got it. Then it went to to outside the nation of Israel. And they they, they were converted by the same gospel. They believed in the same Jesus. It wasn't a different Jesus. It was the same one. But then something happened. We receive this inheritance, the, the Holy Spirit. Now, what is what who is the Holy Spirit? Look at this. In verse 14, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now here's what this means. It means that the word guarantee is probably better understood as a deposit. Like when you put a deposit down on an apartment or you put a deposit down on a car, it's showing that you've got skin in the game and that you're willing to to complete the deal, right? And and so what this is saying is that that when you are in the hoop, when you are in Christ, part of your identity is is that God gives you himself when you're in Christ, that God gives you himself to be with you. That is who the Spirit is. It is Jesus with you and dwelling in you. Now listen, all this might sound really too good to be true. As Jonathan Dodson said, if it doesn't sound too good to be true, it's probably not the gospel. It may sound too good to be true to think that by simply saying yes to Jesus' offer of salvation, by simply saying yes to Jesus, you become in Christ and you get to live inside the hoop, Right? a hoop which was chosen for you before the creation of the world by a God who loves you and who likes you and who made you. That you are adopted into this worldwide family that spans centuries of faithful followers of Jesus. That your slavery to sin was bought at a price that we couldn't pay. And in its return, we get freedom. A freedom a freedom that's so big and, and, and so crazy that we can't even begin to understand it, which is why God gives you his Holy Spirit to help you understand it and to empower you to to, to walk in it and to accept it and to believe it. God gives you himself to show you what living in the hoop, what living in Christ means. You see, believing all this is what I mean when I say in Christ and and, and, in living in the hoop, because you see, if how we see ourselves determines how we see each other, if, if our conversion and our purpose form our identity and our identity affects how we see each other, then if then the way we see ourselves makes all the difference. And if we can see ourselves the way God sees us, we see others the way that God sees them. And this hoop is sitting in my office all the time to remind me to live in the hoop, to remind me to live in this Ephesians 1 passage, to live in the hoop. Because you see, even though all of this is true of me, just like it is of you as a follower of Jesus, 
just because all of it's true doesn't mean that I believe that it's true and live like it's true every day. For me, the, 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 the truth of this that is often the hardest for me to wrap my head around is the fact that God is with me. And when we entered the pandemic um, and all of our schedules got flipped upside down, I, and, and all these decisions were put on me and our elders and our team, I needed clarity and discernment from Jesus like I've never had before. And so, so I started this practice uh, which I had, which I hadn't done before, of intentionally taking time to listen to the Holy Spirit in me, to listen to God in me, and to interact with Him, as, literally as if He's in the room. And so I would sit in my office or, or, or sit at home, and I would picture Jesus in the room with me, and we would just talk, and we would talk about what was weighing heavy on my soul, and 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 and, and I would I would still myself and quiet myself, and God would remind me of scriptures, and He would speak to me truths, like eternal truths for all the generations of the fact that I can trust Him. He would help me understand what it is to be forgiven, and He helped me understand how to forgive others. And y'all, I got to tell you, this time with Jesus changed me from, from well, I, change is a strong word. It helped me to see the insecurities that I have and in their place gave me this, this godly confidence that I didn't have before. Because I was living in the hoop, or at least I was believing that I was in the hoop. And, and it made all the difference for me. And so let me ask you as we finish up here, where do you find the biggest struggle for you of living in the hoop. Maybe you're like me and it's and it's and it's embracing the fact that God is with you and 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 treating him like a person that's in your life. Or or maybe for you you struggle living in the truth that God chose you before time. If so then then you may find yourself trying to prove that you're good enough to earn God's love. Right? If this is you, then let me tell you, you're probably pretty exhausted spiritually most of the time. To live in the hoop means for you, it means to find a rest in the gospel. I mean like a, um, a, a, a nap in the gospel, like that kind of rest, right? And to enjoy that level of freedom that you don't have to work anymore to please God because he already loves you and he likes you. Do you have a hard time believing that you're part of the family of God? Have other brothers and sisters in the family of God hurt you? If so, then you're really cool being adopted, but you'd prefer to kind of be the only child, right? Well, to you, living in the hoop might seem crowded. That's okay. For you to live in the hoop is, is maybe to understand that you have been forgiven to. And uh, the family of God is a very beautiful thing. And, and I'll be honest, as a family, we are crazy, but we're crazy with a purpose. And God has a purpose for you and the family of God to make the family of God operate as a better family, to make the family of God a better family. And so he needs you to be part of the purpose with us in pursuing what he wants for the world, which is, is for the world to know the truth of his son Jesus and to walk in that. Or maybe you struggle with, with the freedom of being redeemed. And if this is you, 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 you feel the obligation of our spiritual faith, right? Like, like probably your spiritual life is rigid and structured, but also very empty and lifeless. 
And for you to live in the hoop, there you will discover, discover the joy of freedom if and as you let God have more control. You see, Jesus promised that he would build his church and that evil won't win, and I believe that. But church, listen to me. I know that evil won't win, but y'all, there are still lots of battles ahead of us. There will be a day when the war is over, but as those battles take place, until then, here's what's going to, here, here, here's what, what is going to keep, um, here's what the problem is going to continue to be unless we get our identity right, unless we take these words of Ephesians 1 to heart, that a church divided by insecure saints lets evil win way too many battles. And so, church, it's important that we get our identity right, that we understand that we are chosen, adopted, redeemed, and then guaranteed with the very presence of the Holy Spirit to help us learn what all of that means and to walk with Him. Because when we do, what it does is it lowers the walls of division. And it helps us be together better. 